Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Bobak Hayeri. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the College Football Survivor Show. I'm Bobak Hayeri. During the season, we examine the paths to crowning an ultimate survivor in each year's college football playoff championship. And in the offseason, we broaden our topics a little bit. But more than anything, I wanted to welcome back my great co-host, Sanjay Raja, national college football writer for CBS Sports and you, Dad. Welcome back. Thanks, man. It's uh, It's been quite a time. It's been quite a, a couple of weeks. I think that she's two and a half weeks old at this point, and I don't really remember life from before it. It feels like she's just always existed. So we're having a great time, uh, sleeping a little less than we used to, but uh, but it's been great, man. It's been great. Yeah, nothing like a a child, especially a newborn, to help you realize how little sleep you actually need to operate on a on a somewhat healthy basis. So I've, I've been there, and I'm sure many of the folks listening have as well. It almost feels like you know the way you described it made me made me think about it, like not remembering what it was like before. It's like the adult version of that first semester, that first week at college during orientation, where it's like you get there, you arrive, and then you can't even remember what it was like not being at college. This is like the way more serious version of that. You know, after a couple of weeks, you're like, I don't remember a time when there wasn't this child in my life. And, uh, oh, that's wonderful. That's great. I mean, and I'm glad you're able to take some time to, to do this. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough on the on 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 the spouse. It's tough on you know. Uh, luckily, I know you have a support network, so that's really great. Um, what is what has struck you the most about being a new father? Anything surprises for you? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I I wouldn't say that anything's been especially surprising. I think that what's just most interesting and surprising about being a dad is just like the actual feelings and process of going through it, you know, like you hear about what it's like and it's mostly what you expect, but it's like, uh, I mean, I think back to, to like when we went into labor and when my wife like gave the baby, it's like, it is one of the things that's really funny, especially about that time is it's at times just like so awkward for the dad. Cause you're just kind of there like you're, you you kind of don't have anything to be doing. You don't have like a task right there. And I think that a lot of men are very task oriented. So for me, we actually did uh, like a, an inducement that so we had to be there like all day waiting for, for basically my wife to get to the point where she could give birth. And I was like stressing the hell out because I was just sitting in a, in a dark room for like 12 hours. Like, what do I do with my hands? So that that's honestly been the thing that's been kind of funny. It's just like trying to figure out where can you help as a dad? Where can you not help? Uh, how can you do it? The other part, too, that's been kind of uh, interesting to me is like the turnaround between needing to like do things with the baby is so quick because like basically you feed them. And like, it's like two hours until they need to be fed again. And so it's like, what can you actually accomplish in that amount of time? Like, can you really read? Can you really like, I, I don't know, like, I can't go anywhere. So it's just, uh, that's definitely been the piece that we're trying to figure out right now is like, how do I do productive things in between the times? And uh you know, we're, we're reaching an equilibrium. It's obviously nice that both me and my wife are at home right now. And so we're able to kind of work through that and take turns, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's relentless, man. It's nonstop. You know, you brought up something that made me realize 
Uh, for those listening that, you know, some of you who've had kids who are listening will know what I'm talking about. But if you have friends and who are having kids before you do, nothing is more welcome than being the person that's willing to hang out with them when they finally are able to start hanging out with their friends again. Because as, as as John's saying, you're like, you don't do that for a while. You know, you're, you're too busy. Like, no, I got to be near the baby. I got to be around that. But one day, you know, and you're feeling it calm down as the weeks pass, you're going to be able to go out. And then it's just, it's so fun. And then your friends... You know, you see them again, you kind of emerge. Um, some of them might come over and like, you know, bring a meal or, or, or do something nice like that. No, that's always welcome as well. But I remember how nice it was to finally like go out again. And even then, I think we for a while there it was just like only one of us would go out at a time, you know, because it didn't feel right if, if one of the parents wasn't there. But then to just be able to go out like as a couple and see your friends again is that is just like I remember that moment. And it's so exciting. And then maybe another moment where you bring the kid out. And it, it, the first time you take your kid out for nothing that isn't like a doctor's appointment, a wellness baby check or whatever. It's just kind of like you're like, oh, can I do this? Can, can I get this right? You got the <laughs> you, know, you got the bassinet or whatever the heck, you know, and, and you're, you're kind of going around. Oh, I remember all of those moments. It, it's a rite of passage for so many of us. But, you know, the good news is, is they tell people and you're you're very obviously Clearly, you're okay with it right now. But I always tell people, like, in moments of panic, just remember, like, uh, billions of these have been born, and it seems to work. We got a system. The system has been with it. It, it can work. Just just be patient. You know, babies are, are resilient. <laughs> I, I know some dumb people who have kids, and they manage to keep their kids alive through infancy. So, you know what? Like, if they can do it, I feel I feel pretty okay about it. No, but it is... It is funny because you do just get to a point and I already feel it because it, it's funny. I, uh, I'm like the first of like my generation of cousins to have kids. So like I haven't been around a lot of like kids or babies or, you know, all that sort of stuff very much in a very long time. And so like, I probably hadn't held a newborn. I mean, like as an adult, like, I don't know if I ever have. And, but like you you just kind of do it. And then it's like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. That wasn't that hard. Oh, okay. She's fine. It, you can leave her for a second. It's fine. She's, she's not going to like freak out. She's not going to whatever. And so I think that just getting to that point helps you kind of be like, all right, it's, it's probably okay. Oh, Oh, you know, she's kind of tossing and turning over there. Eh, it's probably fine. You, know, you can probably, yeah. so, so once you just go through a couple days of it, and again, we're, she was born on January 19th. So I guess she's like 19 days old or something like that right now. Like I already, I'm like, all right, you know, she's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's a healthy approach to it. Because again, like sometimes, you know, there's moments where you're stressed. You can put the kid down for a few. I always tell new parents, I mean, not, I'm not, and again, I'm not specifically talking to you about this, but I always tell like when I teach, I'm like, because I got kids like you're in college, so they usually haven't had kids yet. And I was telling them, like, look, there'll be a moment where you might be just like, I can't handle this. That's fine. Put the baby down. You know, let them, let them cry for a little bit. They'll be all right. They won't remember, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pick them up when you had a breather and then everything goes well. So, yeah, that's it's fun. These are great times. I mean, it it's slow during those weeks. But, man, does it in the retrospect, does it fly by? It flies by so quickly. Um, there's so much of that I, I look back on. That was wonderful. So much that wasn't wonderful. That was more of a chore, if anything. But uh, yeah, enjoy these moments. I always say, like, especially sounds like your your daughter is is being pretty pretty decent. Not nothing too extreme. Pretty relaxed. Pretty chill, huh? Yeah, it, it hasn't been too bad. Thankfully, she doesn't cry uh, that much, honestly. And like, she is very targeted when she does cry, and she really doesn't like scream her head off very often. She she more kind of like 
we'll just be like, hey, just just a heads up, like I need to eat now. And uh, actually, the first couple of days, we were a little worried because she wasn't crying all that much. And we were like, is everything okay? She's she's definitely started crying more now. But again, it's very like, all right, it's been it's been three hours time to time to get a move on. And so uh, she's very direct. She's very to the point, and uh, And we appreciate her for it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've heard that term like for a child like that as an angel baby because then you're like, I'm gonna have another one, and then you, you find out it is there's a, it isn't nurtured. There's a lot of nature there too. You know, spin that wheel. You know, like it's the price is right. You know, you're two hand pulling it down, boop, 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 and then you get the colicky nightmare of a child that ends up being great when they're older. But you're just sort of like, what have I done? <laughs> I've got a toddler and a baby that never wants to sleep. <laughs> Goodness. Well, I don't want to. We we can talk about this for ages, and I know that that gets to be a bit. Uh, but I want to. I want to. We thought this would be kind of a fun opportunity to talk about parents in the sport. So, in for, because football being what it is, fathers and sons who tend to coach, including there might even be a grandson or two in there that we could mention as well. Uh, before we jump into that, just a quick reminder: you can always find us here on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, listen to your feedback, you know, get a moment, take a second to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We enjoy the reviews, and if they're good, we'll probably talk about them here. But moving on to sort of the topic at hand, I love the idea. You're like, hey, should we do something about fathers and sons? I'm like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a great idea. There's so much of that going on Um, because we both, as we were kind of talking about before the show, doing research for this, you kind of realize I actually, this isn't a struggle to find topics. This is like a, an editing project. Like who do I even pick from the assortment, which I don't know. I'm not going to say it's like, I'm like, wow, nepotism is rampant. No, but no, it's just like, there's a lot of folks who you see what your parent does and you kind of want to do that. You grow up around it. You always read a lot about that. Like coaches who my dad was a coach, so I was hanging around coaches all the time, and I got really into it. You hear that in all kinds of professions, you know, uh, uh, business, law, engineering, medicine, people who just are used to seeing a parent do something, and that's something they feel like they could do as well. But let's kind of go into that. How how do you envision this conversation going? What what what, what Obviously, being a new father, but what kind of brought you to this kind of uh, discussion? Yeah. And just to just to kind of take a step back. So my thoughts was, you know, obviously, it's my first show back after being a new dad. And so I thought that uh, that we should look at fathers and in college football, it's going to mostly be sons. I don't I don't know that I have uh, obviously a daughter on my list, unfortunately. But uh, who are some of the best fathers and sons? And we're kind of in a moment right now where there's a lot of fathers and sons in this industry, whether it's players, of course, whether it's coaches, whether it's administrators. I mean, even if we really wanted to get into the weeds, we can get into like the strength coaches. Like, I I mean, actually one, one great example would be, uh, you know, Baylor linebacker a couple years ago, all big 12 player, Dylan Doyle, son of Chris Doyle, the former Iowa strength coach, right? Like we are in a place right now where the, like you said, it's not necessarily that it's like nepotistic, but like where this industry and where college football is really compounding on itself. And so many of the same families are, are putting more kids into college football as well. There's a there's actually a couple on this list where I think that you could have multiple sons mentioned. I tried to narrow it down to one specific son and one specific father for the most part. 
but we'll certainly give mention to, to some of the other sons who might be relevant on this list as well. So uh, I'm excited for this. And the other part of this too is that, like you said, when you started looking and researching, it's amazing the amount of connections that people have at this point. There are a couple that I was like, oh my gosh, this would be a great one. But that's a nephew. Oh, no, I can't include that one. Or, oh, this one's, like, you know, something like that. One that came to mind is new Mississippi State athletic director, Zach Selman, is the nephew of Leroy Selman, the great Oklahoma player. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that would have been perfect to get an administrator and a Hall of Famer as a player on the same list. Unfortunately, he's not eligible. But there are plenty of others that I think are going to be a lot of fun to talk about. You know, the one that the one that, you know, talking about people, you're like, oh, I should include them. And then you realize, oh, they're not actually related or they're not related to the same as a lot of people make the mistake of assuming Eddie Robinson Jr., the head coach of Alabama State, is the son of the legendary Grambling head coach, Eddie Robinson, but they're not related. Um, what? So, that's, that's news to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, because I kept reading around, I'm like, why don't they mention the son? Why don't they mention the father? And then finally, I found the article that said, like, no, they're not actually related. I'm like, oh, Man, that must come up a lot. I mean, you, you kind of like, you know, you can imagine how many awkward media questions come up or just fans and like, yeah, what's your dad like? Well, my dad is not the guy you're thinking of, but OK, thank you. Well, um, that's, that's funny, too, because I like I have met several times other members of like the Eddie Robinson family and they are a junior, the third, the fourth kind yeah, of family. Oh, yeah, his father but always shows up for junior. the award. Yeah, his son yeah. always shows up for the award for that's named after his dad because I've met him there. You know, that's so funny. <laughs> so that, again, that's the confusion. I'm like, wait, he doesn't look like the guy I met. You know, when you look up the picture of the Alabama <laughs> State head coach, and you're like, oh my gosh, boy, that's awkward. Like, because you imagine, like, because it's not, you know, again, it's just so many things. It's the, the chance of your name being so similar. I mean, we don't see the same thing about guys with the last name Smith necessarily, but that one is just kind of like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, it's an HBCU coach named Eddie Robinson. Like, it's it's an understandable <laughs> it's mistake like, to make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's understandable. It, it it is given all the context clues. You might you might go in that direction. Um, but let's see. So, how should we kick this off? Should we talk with the obvious? Because there's a couple of names out there that are very prominent right now. Who would you like to kick off with? So, so well, let, let's let's figure out who's picking what. Okay. So, uh, okay. so. Why don't why don't you go first? Okay, so you get first pick, I'll get second pick, and we'll just go back and forth and try to make the best team that we can. Yeah, all right, I love it. No, so I my approach was a slightly I was willing to kind of look at fam like I kind of I jokingly started to, to write these out like they were members of the Game of Thrones or royalty, like House something, House something. So I felt the the way to kick it off was House Harbaugh because they are right now the premier college football family in this moment in time with obviously you start with the father, Jack Harbaugh, who was a championship coach at Western Kentucky when it was an FCS championship in 2002, which I believe is when he decided to retire. I think he was like, all right, I did it. I'm done. Um, <laughs> got his son, obviously Jim Harbaugh, who is now a college football national champion, but also very successful in his previous stops at San Diego and Stanford and, and the 49ers getting the Super Bowl and losing to his brother, John, who we also should mention um, only because he's also been a, a Super Bowl champ and is, uh, is an NFL head coach, but sticking with college, you know, there's a grandson involved because you got Jay Harbaugh, who's also kind of, you know, he's now following his father to the Chargers, but was also with the uh, with Michigan for the last several years. So I thought they would be a good family to start out with only because you get that rare third generation 
who's at least far enough in his career where it isn't like a graduate assistant. It's like, no, no, they're, they are all, they're all in their careers at this point. Um, and I thought they're no better team to sort of start out with or team, no better family to start out with. If you're talking about the father son relationships and coaching. Yeah. Well, obviously my, uh, you know, my fatherhood journey kind of started, uh, the, this conversation, but I think that the Harbaugh thing is the thing that really tied it together. Right. That really made this a relevant topic. Obviously Jim Harbaugh winning a national championship, becoming the third member of his family to win a championship, uh, like you mentioned and second at the collegiate level. I mean, as coaches, like they are like in football right now, they are the first family of coaching with obviously Jim, what he accomplished at Michigan, uh, what he accomplished with the 49ers. Now he's with the Los Angeles Chargers. You look at John with the Super Bowl under his belt. He was in the AFC championship game this year. They have another great team coming back next year. The one thing that's sad about this is that we can't get another Harbaugh Super Bowl because they're both in the AFC now. I feel like I feel like Jim should have thought about that before he took the Chargers job, but uh, but unfortunately, we'll only get that in the AFC title game. And also, unfortunately, uh, Patrick Mahomes exists, so they probably won't be making many Super Bowls. But anyway, uh, it, this is one of the great coaching families, and I think that if you're just looking at coaching alone. I think that this has a really good case to be, you know, number one on the board. Uh, and, and then I think you also have to factor in the fact that Jim was a great college player who was one of the most successful Michigan quarterbacks of the 80s. So uh, I like this pick overall. This is not who I would have gone number one overall, but I think that they probably would have gone number two for me. Okay. Who's your number one? My number one, I'm going with the Mannings. And of course, they're they're probably better known for their NFL success, but this is an all-time college football family as well. And you do also have the the grandson factoring in now with uh, with Arch Manning. The the one thing you know, I don't really count him as part of that because he's Cooper's son, who wasn't really part of this whole thing. But um, when you talk about Archie, SEC Player of the Year, uh, his numbers retired over at Ole Miss. He's he's considered an all-time great over there. He's in the Hall of Fame. Peyton comes through. He's a Heisman finalist. He's an All-American. He's a college football Hall of Famer, considered one of the best players of all time. And then Eli comes through, and he also is SEC Offensive Player of the Year. They split up the award from being SEC Player of the Year to SEC Offensive Player of the Year at that point. But three all-time great college quarterbacks, uh, they ended up retiring Eli's number as well. Peyton's number is retired at Tennessee. I mean, when you're talking about quarterbacking, this is the first family of quarterbacking. This is the greatest run of college quarterbacks uh, from one family that we've ever seen. We'll see whether Arch can add to the list eventually. But, you know, even I think factoring him in as the number one overall recruit in the class of 2023, uh, I think that even that's relevant to me. That that's, you know, when you talk about even just as a recruit and coming to Texas, I think that that even factors in as well. So for me, they are the the first family of football right now in college football. I think that you look historically. I mean, I pulled up for research. I, I pulled up ESPN's list of the 150 greatest players of 150 years of college football. They're you know Archie and uh, and Peyton are both top 50 players. They're the only family members to be top 50 players uh, on that list. And of course, they went on to have great success in the NFL as well. Although I I will say, and and this is not like 
this is just such an indicator of how football has changed and how quarterbacking especially has changed over the past 70 years or whatever. Archie Manning has a 125 to 173 touchdown to interception ratio as a passer, which is just deeply funny. Again, not, not relevant to like whether he was good as a player, but it's just very funny that that was just fine back in the day. And then obviously you look at Peyton and Eli's numbers and they're just so, so dumb at the NFL level. And NFL is not why I'm taking this, but they are both also all-time college quarterbacks. You know, I like the direction you took this because if we're talking about college football, royalty, or just in terms of of things, I, I admit I leaned a little on the coach administration side, but there is a coaching family that I have to bring up. And that's the Bowdens. I mean, starting with Bobby, you know, just an incredible run, uh, especially when he was at Florida State with national championships, a dynasty, making that team what it was from being kind of an irrelevant afterthought that was better known as the, you know, had a couple of famous alumni like Lee Corso as a, as a player. And, and um, oh, my gosh, I forgot his name. Uh, the the oh, the bandit uh, smoking the bandit. Um Oh my gosh! The uh, they he was roommates with uh, with Lee Corso, the actor. Um, oh goodness, I'm I am kind of. Uh, well, I'll get back to that in a second because that's that's me. My brain. I'm a person, a visual person, so I tend to forget names. But then let's go really quick though. Let's the sons. Tommy Bowden. Now, granted, I I feel bad for Tommy Bowden because I think history is going to more remember him as the guy who preceded Dabo Swinney at Clemson for all those years and was doing fine at Clemson, but they just couldn't quite. Get over the get over the hill. It's sort of like you know, um, uh, uh, yeah. So and then, but at the same time, he had that incredible year at Tulane, where they you know he had that incredible season at Tulane, and then his brother Terry, who again had that undefeated season at Auburn, which was kind of hamstrung by the fact that previously they had the sanctions that didn't allow them to actually play in a bowl game, so they had no shot at winning a title. And then he's been you know head coach at several other schools since then, most recently. Was he most recently ULM or most recently Akron? I can never even remember where he No, ULM. Um, but right now, I'm not sure where he's at. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's a third brother, Jeff, who uh, who's also been a college, assist- uh, college assistant over the years. So I think if we're talking, again, families, especially who've been very college football heavy, um, the Bowdens, House Bowden, however you want to look at it, um, deserve inclusion for, for just the performance of all, all of them. Um, particularly, obviously, Bobby, and then the early careers of Tommy and Terry, most certainly. So I was completely unaware. You're thinking of Burt Reynolds, and I... That's it! Oh, my God! I was completely oh. unaware that Burt Reynolds played college football with Lee Corso at Florida State. I did not know that information, which is why I was blank in the face when you were talking about that. That is an incredible story. I'm, I'm sure that to a lot of our listeners, that's that's more common knowledge, but I did not know that. That's, that's really well, funny. Well, the problem is Burt Reynolds aged like fine wine in terms of appearance. And I mean, you know, he's a, he's a, he was a Hollywood actor. Even the men get get surgery here and there, and they just don't really talk about it, right? So I think that was part of the reason why. And Lee just looks like a guy who's been in the sun all day being a head coach, you know? So I mean, it's a slightly different lifestyle in terms of that stuff. So yeah, no, they uh, – and I remember when, when Burt Reynolds passed away, they were – a few years later, they did the big uh, estate sale that was much ballyhooed, and I was tempted to buy – I think he had like – it was like a Sun Bowl MVP like or something like that was in the lot. And it was the most <laughs> generic looking trophy you've ever seen. Clearly someone at the Sun Bowl or whatever it was just drove up to the local trophy shop and asked for this thing. I don't even remember if it had his name on it, but I was like, 
I don't even know if it was real, to be honest, but I was just like, you know, I would, I was halfway tempted to put a couple hundred bucks to say I had that because it was such an odd thing, you know, piece of college. I, I probably would have thought about it. I probably would have thought about it. That's, that's yeah. pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to, to talk about the Bowdens, I think that, like you said, they, they are probably the, the most well-known name in coaching. I think the thing that held it back a little bit for me is that Bobby just carries the list so much, right? Like what he did is just a completely different level. But like, I think that the, I think that the Suns for not being Bobby did get a little underrated. Like Terry was very good for a long time. Like, uh, like, and, uh, and by the way, Terry uh, was recently the head coach at Louisiana Monroe. He just got let go uh, this past year, but he was, he was coaching up until this past year as well. And, you know, like you said, uh, you know, Jeff Bowden, a good uh, assistant for a long time on those Florida state teams as well. So, I mean, I, I think it's a very solid group. It's a very solid list. And, uh, and yeah, they would have probably been my next pick if I, if I had the next pick, but since I didn't, let's go ahead and move on to my next pick. So I picked I picked a player with my first group. I'm trying to figure out if I should if I should try to then go coach, but I don't know. I tried to because there are so many coaches, like you mentioned, so many coaching families on this list. So I tried to err a little away from the coaches and a little more towards the players. Hey, I'll, I'll find a combo right now. How about that? Dion Sanders and Shador Sanders as next on my list. Now, look, Dion is a all-time, you know, college football player, all-time, all-time, but, you know, has, has obviously been good, uh, you know, as, as an HBCU coach too. We'll see if he's a good coach at Colorado long-term. You know, whatever you want to say about what Colorado struggled with last year, Shadur is a really good player. And you can throw Shiloh Sanders also onto the list as a defensive back. I, I you know, he's, he's an all right player. I don't think that he's necessarily in that tier, but I think that Shadur does belong in sort of that conversation of really good players. I think that he has a chance to be a first round pick next year if he's able to put together a slightly better season. And especially if they're able to, to maybe be competitive for a bowl game. And uh, I mean, Dion speaks for himself. He's one of like the 10 greatest football players of all time. I think you could make the case. And one of the, you know, probably 25 best college football players of all time. Uh, and so I think that he's a very obvious inclusion on the list. Again, there's, <laughs> you look at you, I, I have my like big board up here and I'm looking like, man, there's a lot of good players on this list. I feel like I want to include, but I think that the Sanders are, are next on my list. I think that's a good inclusion. It's a current, it's, I mean, obviously they're very timely, they're very topical, but I think they're very defensible because of that reason. I mean, the, the talent of Shador is, is, you know, you just kind of, you know, if he was coaching on a, if he was, if he was playing on a team that was loaded, like if you threw him on Georgia, like imagine where he'd be at and what he's doing at Colorado, there's still a lot of opportunity. I mean, Whole probably a whole other conversation about how, especially after the spring uh, transfer window, what Colorado is even going to look like next season. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely, I think that's a great call, and you know, I I am absolutely willing to still defend Dion's capability as a coach because again, Colorado was in a dire situation when he took over. And I do agree with the concept of that he was a sports person of the year only because of the sheer splash he made. Which was which was remarkable and unlike anything college football has ever seen. Period. Um, you know, if we're another family I wanted to bring up, and this one I'm going to actually add some, even though they're not blood relatives, they're kind of a bonus connection here, and that is the Stoops family. 
because you actually start with a high school coach, which is a little odd, but he's so important to all of this. And that's Ron Stoops Sr., um, who who died young of a heart, I believe it was a heart attack, as I recall. Um, he was a head coach of Cardinal Mooney High School. And I mentioned that only because that is what what motivated his his uh, one of his he's not even his oldest son, but Bob Stoops to retire when he did from Oklahoma and kind of pass the reins over to Lincoln Riley at the time. But he had four sons who've all become coaches. Uh, the oldest, Ron Stoops Jr., always kind of was happy. And there's good interviews with him if you look him up, where he always was happy sort of being an assistant to either his father or then to his brothers at their various stops. Um uh, he was the one that went to Youngstown State because, and became a teacher by training because that's what his dad did. And then the younger three brothers, Bob, Mike, and Mark, ended up being, you know, they were arguably better as players. All three of them played for Iowa. And then obviously all three of them became head coaches. Bob Stoops, notably at Oklahoma, where he won a national championship. Mike Stoops at Arizona and has been an assistant since. And then Mark Stoops, the current head coach of Kentucky. Now I'm going to throw in a slight bonus here. Because that same group, the same peers, the same teams also generated Carl Pelini and Bo Pelini, both of whom have been head coaches. Carl was briefly at FAU's head coach and is an assistant. And Bo Pelini, of course, was the head coach of Nebraska and uh, Youngstown State, uh, which is where they were all growing up, although they they both went to different schools. Carl went to Columbia because he's apparently an Ivy League man. And, uh, and Bo, of course, went <laughs> you to You know, Ohio the Pelini's Ivy League people, of <laughs> when, I, when I think of, you know, they're, they're an interesting group. And I've actually talked to, I've talked to one of, I did an interview once with Bo and, Bo and his son. Um, they were putting together some kind of a uh, uh, show of their own. And it was, a good, it was a good interview. But yeah, he's a very, he's a much more reserved, person uh Bo is when you try to when you talk to him but he's always I will always have a warm spot for Bo Pelini because he was willing to go in that spring game coming onto the field holding up a cat like the Lion King as a reference to the Bo <laughs> Pelini thing that was taking off like the fact that he was willing to do that the fact that this is now in this current era of college football I would not be shocked to see a head coach kind of like have a little bit of fun, be a little silly. But this was before any of it. This was like, did this just happen? Like, this is like an internet moment. And that moment where the, the so-called serious head coaches of yesteryear started to actually reveal a little bit of, of good humor. Um, so that, that'll that always be a, a soft spot for me. But, but going back, I'm going to just say really primarily, though, you have to mention Stoops Brothers and that entire family tree. No, I think it's a great inclusion. Uh, the oldest brother, by the way, Ron Jr., did spend some time as uh, a college assistant at Youngstown State. And so he doesn't deserve inclusion. And the other thing, too, if you want to make it generational, is Oklahoma's best receiver last year was Drake Stoops, yes. who is Bob's son. So you can definitely include him on the list. I think he's going to have a chance uh, to to try and stick in the NFL a little bit. He's just like... I, I hate to use all the white stereotype uh, words for a wide receiver, but he is just like such a, like a crafty player. Like he is just somebody who, who knows how to find creases and defenses. And, and uh, so he was a high possession guy for, uh, for Oklahoma this, the past couple of years. So he's, he's like a legitimately good college football player who does deserve uh mention on the list, even though he came to Oklahoma as a walk-on. So I think that you can also throw, so, so you got Ron senior, you got, all four brothers, uh, all four of the Stoops brothers coach college football. And then you've got Drake Stoops now as a uh, as a college player. And also, by the way, Drake's uh, twin brother, I can't remember his name right now, also spent some time as an analyst on Oklahoma staff as well. Because 
because Drake Stoops is also so old that his brother has already graduated and been an analyst, but that's a whole other conversation about college football in 2023. Um, but I, I like the inclusion quite a bit. They actually, you know, I, I didn't necessarily make the connection with them as a father son to it, but like I said, I mean, like Ron senior was a significant, uh, I, I think like a significant person. Uh, yeah. Isaac Stoops, uh, Joey mentioned uh, Thank you so much to our producer, Joey. Uh, and, and so like, but like they are a three generational family as football coaches and people who impacted college football, even if, Ron Sr. wasn't an active college football coach. So I like that fit quite a bit. Where to go now? This this is this is where things start to get kind of fun. I, I think that for me, I had a top four, and it was the Mannings, the Bowden, the Bowdens, the Sanders, and the Harbaugh's. And I think that once you get past that, you're kind of in free-for-all land, uh, just a little bit. So I am going to go. I'm going to go with a kind of uh, a very interesting college football family. Uh, I'm going to go with the McCaffreys and primarily Ed McCaffrey, uh, the former Denver Broncos wide receiver, the former Stanford receiver. Uh, I believe he's in Stanford's Hall of Honor uh, as a wide receiver. He was top five all time in Stanford receiving yards for a long time. Uh, Went on to have a really good college career. And he also was a head coach at Northern Colorado, although he was kind of fired a little bit in disgrace. I don't know if that necessarily helps this case. But by the way, guys, his son is Christian McCaffrey, a really, 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 really good college football player who was a Heisman finalist, should have won the Heisman. I think you can make a pretty good case uh, that year. Um, So I broke the all-time all-purpose yards record in his final year on campus. Uh, And the other thing, too, is that I think I kind of made mention earlier they have uh, they have another son, Luke McCaffrey, who played a uh, wide receiver at Rice these past couple of years. And he was kind of awesome. The last two years, he had just about 1,600 receiving yards. I think that he absolutely has a chance to be an NFL draft pick and maybe even stick around in the NFL. Uh, but he was also, I, I mean, and again, this is not an NFL program. That's not what we're caring about. But he was like an all-conference USA, all-AAC type of player as well. So... To have those three on the board, I mean, that's that's a great group. And um, like I said, what happens in the NFL doesn't necessarily factor into the list. But watching what Ed and Christian did, uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty good endorsement of their talents. You know, I'm going to throw out a very kind of someone who isn't as expected. It's a current head coach and his father. And that's Willie Fritz, because Willie Fritz Ooh. is obviously a massively talented head coach. I've been a big booster for him ever since uh, Georgia Southern hired him because he'd previously had very successful runs at uh, Blinn, which is a junior college, Central Missouri, indeed, two, Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern, to, which he was there for the, the transition to FBS. And then obviously Tulane in Houston. And he's won uh, several national championships, uh, especially at the junior college level. And so he's been successful wherever he's been. But I remember when I had an opportunity a few years ago to interview him, I was blown away by his father because his father, is, he died, unfortunately, a, a while ago. Like he died at age 67 in 1987. But Harry Fritz was a coach in he's like he was a classic old school coach. Like he coached football for a year. He coached basketball. He coached baseball. And he was an athletic director for three different universities. But. What re- and he was at one point the director of the NAIA, which is that uh, smaller association that uh, is a rival of the NCAA. But 
what people don't realize is he was one of the people that designed women's collegiate intercollegiate sports. I mean, I'm not even understating it. He's one of the reasons why there's women's intercollegiate sports. One of his daughters was also a college swimmer. And he wanted to kind of help that. He was motivated to do that. So the NCAA adding women's sports was was the direction of that came from uh, Willie Fritz's dad, Harry. So he's one of these these hidden. I don't want to say hidden figure because that that's he's he's a very successful white man. But you know, but at the same time, you know, he he was out there doing this work, and especially last uh, two years ago was yeah, now it was two years ago with the the, the anniversary of Title Nine. Um, they were kind of looking back at some of the folks who had been part of that. And, and again, Willie Fritz's dad was part of that in addition to being, so that's both of them were involved in college football, but their, their greater impact pound for pound. It's hard to say like, yeah, I, I helped create, my dad created women's intercollegiate sports. You know, it's a little bit of a, a huge one. And one that I think is a bit underrated in the greater, in the greater picture of, of impact of father sons in intercollegiate sports. So the only complaint that I have with you making this pick is that you could have gotten that further down the board because I, that is an awesome pick. And I would not have thought of that connection. That is, that is really cool to, to learn about Harry Fritz. I'm going to have to do some research into him once we get off of this show. Cause I, I love also, I, I tried to have a couple of, uh, of administrator ties on the show too, but that's probably the best administrator tie that I've heard. So good pick by you, but again, could have gotten it further down the board. I think <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm gonna go, man. I really am leaning on player combos right now, aren't I? I don't. Th- this wasn't purposeful, but like, I've just I feel like got some really good player combos. I'm gonna go with the Greasy family, Bob Greasy, the former Purdue quarterback, considered one of the best college football players of all time. Uh, you know, won every award uh, that there was except for the Heisman, basically back in the 1960s, won the Sammy Ball Trophy, Big Ten Player of the Year, consensus All-American. Uh, and then his son, Brian Greasy, was the quarterback who quarterbacked Michigan to its previously most recent national title in 1997. Also a, a really good player, an All-Big Ten type player as a quarterback as well. So I think that when you look at the combination of Bob Greasy's excellence as an individual player and Brian Greasy's importance to uh, the University of Michigan for a very long time. He's also, by the way, the MVP of the Rose Bowl, which was the game that ultimately gave them the national championship. He's in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. He was an all-Big Ten first-team quarterback as well. So he wasn't an All-American necessarily, but I think that he was a very, very good player who was important. In some ways, I think you probably could compare him a little bit to, to what J.J. McCarthy was for Michigan this past year. So I think two very important Big Ten legends and uh, two of the most important Big Ten players of the last little while in college football. That's a good one. I am going to actually go with another coaching family, but at a different division, but is so notable. Even if you don't know the name, you know the team. And that is uh, Larry Karras and his family Ooh. at Mount Union. That's so a Larry Karras, for those That's who don't know, one. for those who don't know D3, there was a whole 12 years where all but one title game included just two teams like they all both teams won them all like and that was whitewater uh under of course current uh kansas head coach lance leipold but also mount union under his rival larry carries who uh won again uh 11 titles over his tenure uh, not just in that window but over his tenure retired with his 11th national championship and then just told his uh told his ad you know what my son 
Vince, who'd been on the staff and was also uh, the, he also like all of his families played for Mount Union in their collegiate years. He took over as head coach, won three titles. And now Vince Carries is actually working for Candle over at Toledo. He's the defensive coordinator there and clearly talented at what they do in, uh, in Toledo because they're always up for another gig. I don't know why that that the, why Jason Candle still hasn't been hired and is still at Toledo. Well, well, that's a whole other whole other question. We'll sidestep that. But here's the best part. So when he stepped away, uh, his brother-in-law is now the current head coach of Mount Union. So technically still a part of the family tree, just married to the daughter of, of, of Larry. So the current head coach, Jeff Dart, is actually the uh, the father, probably the son-in-law of Larry. So um, it's an interesting family. One of the also one of the nephews is a head coach at some level. I forgot has been a head coach at some level. Uh, uh, Eric Rayburn. I, I don't have that in front of me off the top of my head. But so that's that's another family. I'm thought not Division One, not even Division Two, but you. They are absolutely their impact at the Division Three level. Just ask anybody who's been involved in Division Three during that particular run. You, they were unmistakable and they dominated their their level of of collegiate sport. Yeah, that is such a good pick. That is such a ridiculously good pick. I like. People need to understand what this Mount Union thing is. It is, it is, there's nothing quite like it uh, at really any level of college football, not just necessarily the success. I mean, other places have had success, but just the way they do things has bled into college football at every level. I, I mean, you, you talk about Mount Union. This is a program that put Pierre Garcon into the NFL, that put Cecil Shorts into the NFL from Division Three. That That is so dumb. That should not happen, but they did it. This is a non-scholarship level of football. Uh, and when you talk about coaches who have come through there, you mentioned the Toledo guys, Jason Candle, Matt Campbell also uh, played and coached at Mount Union. Uh, Nick Sirianni came through uh, Mount Union as well. I know that he's not uh, the hottest name right now, nor is Alex Grinch. But like again, for Alex Grinch to be a Division Three guy to go up through the system and and obviously have success uh, at the Power Five level, I mean, it's it's Mount Union is one of the great uh, kind of producers of coaching talent that we have at any level, and the Karras family is right at the center of it. So that is that is a really good pick. I. I honestly am well, I just to wanted to, I wanted to add one thing before I forgot. I just looked up Eric Rayburn because I had I my note didn't make sense. It's like coach at many teams. So it was it's it, they're all lower division teams, but he was at Co. He was head coach of at Wash Wabash, pardon me, the, the D3 all men's school. Then he was at Savannah State in that brief period where they were FCS. And now he's been at Gannon. He's been their head coach since, which is a D2 team out in Erie, Pennsylvania, which I visited once, you know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that that is again, that's that that's just the family. And I love the fact that you mentioned uh, the coaching tree of former players is absolutely is it, it punches way above its weight for uh, a Division three school. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get a little mad because uh, you're taking me to the cleaners with this uh, with this inside college football stuff, and that's usually my purview. So I I, I do not feel prepared. I'm blaming uh, I'm blaming you got baby on the brain, baby. You got baby <laughs> exactly. on the brain. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So um, I love those picks. I'm gonna I'm gonna still stick with players. I don't know. I I just have a lot of players on my list. I'm gonna go with uh, two players with the same name. Marvin Harrison Sr. and Jr. Marvin mm. Harrison Sr. played at Syracuse, was an All-American receiver, had 1,100 receiving yards at a time when people didn't really have 1,100 receiving yards. And Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously was what he was this year. I 
I do think that he was like a little overhyped as a college player. Like I think that he was extremely good, but I think he projects even better as an NFL player at the next level. Uh, but like he won the Blitnikoff. He was the first team all American. No question about it. Right. Like he, he was one of the two or three best receivers in college football each of the last two years. It, that's like the floor for what he is. It's like an awesome play. And uh, and obviously, I think that when you talk about uh, two All-American receivers, you, you talk about like, uh, you know, one of the best receiving pairings that I think that you can make in college football over the past 25 or 30 years. So I, I think that they deserve mention on this list. I think that's a good one. You know, I uh, I love it because you're going very player heavy and I'm going coach heavy. And I'm yeah. thinking now of a coach who, who got... A little bit of of heat for for um for having his son originally as a player for him, and that is Dan Hawkins and his son Cody. Now I have a big, big, big soft spot for Coach Hawkins, Dan Hawkins, I should say, because he was absolutely fantastic at Boise State. Um, before that, he was at Willamette, which is a, a D three school in Oregon. And and by the way, when we talk about dynasties, a, st- a striking number are from uh, the Northwest in California that people don't even think about, even the the the, the mountain states. But um, so he ended up taking the job after because for those who may not be remember, a lot of people who are more I don't want to say it like in an insulting way because it's been so much time. People associate Chris Peterson with Boise State being successful, and that is true. He was there at the peak. But Dan Hawkins and even uh, uh, Cotter before him, they really built that foundation. And a lot of that, that's when Dan Hawkins, you know, feel the hawk love, like all of this is his famous kind of zen approach to college football. But then he got to Colorado. Things didn't quite go as well as they had hoped. And as they all found out, it could get quite worse. It could get a lot worse (laughs) Really, right now, we're finally seeing them climb out from what happened after they let go of Dan Hawkins. But um, again, so he was there and Cody Hawkins was his quarterback. But now uh, and Dan Hawkins has just retired. He was in TV for a while and then came back to coach his alma mater, UC Davis, uh, just outside Sacramento. And he was there and doing pretty well, getting the getting the Aggies into the playoffs here uh, in several years. But then this past season, Cody Hawkins, his son, was the head coach of Idaho State. So we had a wonderful moment where the head coaches of two rival conference teams were father and son. And certainly we've had that before. Um, we mentioned them at the outset, but Bobby and Tommy played each other in the Bowden Bowl for a number of years there at Florida State versus Clemson in the ACC. But I just thought I'd mention the the Hawkins family because, again, just kind of broadening it. And while, again, uh, this is going to be Cody's second year as the head coach of Idaho State, there's something charming about that. And I, I just wanted to, to, to mention that that kind of um, especially now that now that that uh, Dan has has retired um, and he did win the game they played this season um, it is sort of charming to see that kind of uh, relationship. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So I'm going to stick on the player side again, and I'm going to go to probably one of the most notable football families that we have. I'm going to go with the Matthews family, but more specifically, I'm going to go with Bruce Matthews and Jake Matthews as the father-son duo. Two all-time great offensive linemen. Bruce Matthews considered like an an Iron Man in the NFL, played a lot of different positions, but was also a consensus All-American, was also two-time All-Pac-10 at the time, uh, won the Morris Trophy that year. And Jake Matthews 
I think that you can make the case was also one of the great uh, offensive linemen of the past couple of years. A unanimous All-American in 2013, two-time first-team All-American, two-time first-team All-SEC, was the sixth pick in the 2014 NFL Draft. Didn't end up being maybe quite the all-time player that people expected at the NFL level, but has been a mainstay, has played for a long time, and... There's a couple more that came through as well. Like Kevin Matthews also played at Texas A&M, Luke Matthews, Mike Matthews. So like this father-son combo has done quite a bit. And this is also, by the way, the same family as the Clay Matthews family, as in like the edge rusher who played for the Packers, Clay Matthews Jr., Clay Matthews Sr. before him. Clay Matthews Sr. was kind of like the originator. He was a player a very long time ago. But if you really want to talk about it, I mean, yeah, it's Clay Matthews Sr. to Bruce Matthews to Jake Matthews, including Clay Matthews Jr., including Clay Matthews III. So, I mean, the Matthews family runs deep, probably as deep as any family in college football. And I think they deserve to be on this list. I like that inclusion. And Clay Matthews III is the best example of someone who has led on a team as a walk-on based on just the family connections and just the sort of general belief that he should develop into someone good. And I remember because he was a walk-on at USC. And then suddenly he he got his way into the starting lineup and suddenly he was like an NFL draft pick. And then he was later a hair model along with his former uh, teammate, Troy Polamalu. They weren't teammates, but but other fellow USC alum, uh, Troy Polamalu for hair products because of their... They're lovely manes. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I love that pick. So I'm going to go again with with head coaches. And this is these are a family of head coaches where all three of them were coaches, the father and the two sons. But not one of them is still prominent and is probably going to end up being a head coach again, depending on where and when is going to be a loaded question. But that's the Petrino family, because Bob Petrino Sr., which is Bobby Petrino's dad. So he went by Bob Petrino Sr. Um, he passed away only not that long ago in 2018. He was a head coach at uh, an NAIA school, Carroll, out in Montana. And both his sons were quarterbacks for Carroll. Bobby and Paul are actually a little bit farther apart in years, about six years apart in age. And so Bobby, of course, became a head coach at multiple, you know, multiple teams, including a a brief NFL stint. But, you know, Louisville, Arkansas, um, uh, Missouri State, you know, obviously last year he was the offensive coordinator for Jimbo's last season at uh, A&M. And now he is... uh, in case of emergency break class, pardon me. I mean, he's offensive coordinator at Arkansas again. Uh, and then Paul Petrino, who had for the longest time was coaching with his brother uh, for a while there was actually the head coach of Idaho during he got handed a bad situation because for those who don't know, he was named the head coach of Idaho. And then Idaho quickly announces that we're going to go down to the FCS level after the Sun Belt that pushed them out. So I remember being at that those really awkward Sun Belt media days where, you know, everyone wanted to kind of, it was also awkward because they would have it in New Orleans. So not a lot of the Idaho media would make it down to cover, you know, Idaho's uh, media day out in New Orleans in the Superdome. So people would just kind of like want to ask him questions that everyone you could tell wanted to ask him like, what's the situation now that you know you're losing scholarships and you have to recruit people to a team that's not even going to be an FBS anymore. And I just remember he gave a look where you just, you remember the human really quickly because he gave a look like, Come on, man. Like, what am I? What do you expect me to say in this situation? He didn't say that, but it just conveyed like, I am stuck with this situation. I'm going to make the best deal out of it. And I, I, 
you know, I, I admire anybody who can do that. And, and to be fair, they were doing pretty well when they moved down to FCS for a couple of seasons there under Paul. And now he's no longer the head coach. But uh, again, I, 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 the Petrino family is notable. And again, another one of those examples of, as I was talking about, some of these dynasties come out of that north, northwest, big mountain, big sky region. Um, and I wanted to mention him as well. I just a quick side note to that because I don't think he necessarily deserves to be mentioned on the same level of, of father son uh, uh, royalty. But Dennis Erickson's also a guy from out there because he played at Montana State. Obviously, won at many different levels. Been as an NFL head coach, as a college coach, college head coach in the, the the true journeyman sense at so many different departments. But has also won a national championship when he was obviously at at Miami. And then his son Bryce is also a college assistant right now. So I just wanted to to throw the Ericsons out there too, but also an example of at least the paterfamilias was way out in Montana, out in that in that way. So I thought I'd mention those two, at least particularly the Petrinos, because of their relevancy. No, I mean, and and one thing that I'll mention too. This isn't necessarily a a note about fathers and sons, but I think that that sort of northwestern culture. It's really starting to permeate a little bit, right? I mean, Kalen DeBoer obviously comes from South Dakota. You see the success that South Dakota State's had. You've seen the assistants that have come through North Dakota State, like a Chris Kleiman. Uh, like, there's some really good football being played out there. And they do things a certain way, a little bit of an old school way. But I think that, I mean, I think you even see Matt Enns, the former North Dakota State head coach hired at USC because they want to get a little piece of that as well on the defensive side of the ball. So, I think that you're right. And the other part, too, is that while there's a lot of pressure to win, of course, I mean, Matt Ents just left because he only won a national championship. I I think that there's also, I I don't want to say a patience, but like you can build something out there, I think. I think that you can do things your way. You can build a culture. I I think that one thing that helps, I, I got to talk to Jonathan Smith when he was at Oregon State a little bit about this, is like, I mean, when you're out there, like what you do is football, man. And and like you can kind of bring in guys who want to be there, who want to play football, who want to do things the right way. And so uh, I I think that you're right. Like it's notable the sort of Northwestern culture that that you see out here. And uh, in in a way that I don't think that people talk about enough. You know, one other name I wanted to throw out there and he was in the back of my list, not someone I was going to, but also just kind of continuing this, this big sky country is Sonny Lubick, who some people may remember as was the coach of uh, Colorado State for many, many years. Um, He went to Western Montana, and then both his sons are currently, I believe, assistants at college and NFL level, Matt Lubick and Mark Lubick. And Matt played for Western Montana as well, and Mark played for Montana State. So again, you just see this, this disproportionate influence of these, I guess you could say they're in that, 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 that footprint up there. And it's, it's fascinating, particularly considering how sparsely populated we're talking about the, the, uh, the heft of the head coaches out there is so, I mean, you know, you can even talk about, I know, I believe Carol, I don't know where, I mean, we're talking about that small Montana school, Carol. I don't remember when he was there, but, um, uh, John, I was it Garagaldi, the, the guy who was, uh, St. John's, uh, head coach, the D three school that had like the, the ridiculous number of, of wins, like the, he broke the, the, the record at one point. um, he also was at a Carroll as well. At least that was his previous spot before he took the St. John's job and stayed there for like, you know, like decades upon decades, you know, which put him up there in that same Halcyon group with, with Bowden and Paterno and, 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 and Eddie Robinson, uh, the guys who had been at head coaches for so long and, and were, were inseparable from the teams that they were 
associated with. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, let's let's run through a little quicker. We've uh, we've obviously spent a lot of time on these first seven. So my next one, my next one, I'm gonna go with the rare player administrator combination. The, the other guy was also a player, but uh, but better known as an administrator. I'm gonna go with Oliver and Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, of course, a Heisman finalist. I think two years in a row he was uh, was kind of the guy who helped transform Stanford into being Stanford in a lot of ways as a player. And Oliver Luck has been a longtime administrator. He's kind of like the first call whenever anybody runs into trouble, whether it's the Big 12, whether it's the XFL, whether it's West Virginia, whether it's anybody. And uh, and so, again, one of the most well-respected uh, administrators, I think you could say, anytime, <laughs> as somebody who's a national reporter, anytime there's an opening in college football, it doesn't really matter what it is Oliver Luck is probably going to get mentioned for that role no matter what he was commissioner of the XFL he was uh, an EVP with the NCAA he worked for the Houston Sports Authority for a couple of years which was when Andrew Luck was growing up he was athletic director at, at West Virginia for a couple of years so like he's he's very well respected and he also was a good player he's in the West Virginia Sports Hall of Fame as well and was on the 1980s West Virginia team uh, so I, I think that Oliver and Andrew look a, a combo that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I just to kind of keep this moving. There's a pair of, of family coaches that are been in the news and they're because of the university of Washington, because Jedfish has hired two dynastic coaching families, the second generation, you know, the next generation, uh, to be part of his staff. And that's of course, uh, Steve Belichick's, uh, son, uh, actually, pardon me, not Steve. Oh my goodness. Actually. Yes, it is Steve. I forgot. He's probably named after his grandfather. You have the Belichick family because Steve Belichick was actually who passed away, you know, 1919 to 2005, the father of Bill Belichick actually was briefly a college head coach at Hiram, which is a small college that still plays D, I believe D2 football um, out in the East Coast. But Bill Belichick, the legend, obviously we all know who he is. He was with the Patriots up until recently. Um, his son, Stephen, who has also been a head coach and a coordinator, was just hired as Washington's uh, defensive coordinator. And that's an exciting hire. It's an interesting hire. Um, and that's a rare grandson who's now clearly rising up in the coaching field because a P5 coordinator position is not, especially the, the, the reigning national champion runner up is, is nothing to, 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 to denigrate. And his bro his brother, Brian has also been a, uh, an assistant in the NFL as well. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, of course, uh, Pete Carroll, we know who he is. His son, Brennan Carroll, was hired to be the OC at Washington. And during this recent coaching carousel, Brennan's name kept popping up as a potential head coach for a couple of different positions. So again, those are two sons of Super Bowl winning head coaches. And in the case of Pete Carroll, national championship at the college level. And, you know, you cannot, you know, his 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 run at USC was just something else. So we have two brothers, or probably two sons that have come from uh, from excellent families and are now going to be on both sides of the ball as coordinators at Washington. And again, since we're also mentioning brothers, Nate Carroll has also been an assistant, was an assistant with the Seahawks under uh, under his father, Pete, who was also, just like Bill, let go uh, this past season. So I wanted to do those two because, again, while we certainly have two, again, both of them are currently P5 coordinators, so they're on the rise, and they deserve mention as kind of this this growth and hitting two birds with one stone. 
And by the way, uh, Bill Belichick's godfather is College Football Hall of Fame coach Bill Edwards, who is actually who he was named after, a coach at Vanderbilt and at Wittenberg. So how about that? I, th- I think that, that factors in at least a little bit. Absolutely. So I'm going to go with an athletic director family next. I'm going to go with former Duke athletic director Kevin White and his son, now Tennessee athletic athletic director Danny White. And, you know, Danny White's tenure has been a little shorter, of course, because he's a little bit of a, of a younger guy. But I think he's already made quite the name for himself. He was the athletic director when Buffalo kind of transitioned up a little bit. Uh, he was the athletic director when UCF had their great run of success. He claimed a national championship for them back in 2017, which certainly uh, got some attention, I think you could say. And then at Tennessee, I think that he deserves a lot of credit, of course, for hiring Josh Heupel, who's done a good job. But more than anything, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for formalizing and professionalizing their NIL process at a time that most other places were not doing that. And I think you see some of the success they're having on the field and on the recruiting trail right now. I think Danny White deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, Kevin White, again, one of these uh, athletic directors who's just incredibly well-respected, was uh, was a longtime athletic director, started at Loris, went to Maine, Tulane, Arizona State, Notre Dame, and then ended his career at Duke. Uh, somebody who's an all-time type athletic director as well. So not very many pure athletic director families on our list, but I think that uh, Kevin and Danny White deserve to be among them. I like that selection. Now, I am going to go with a Again, I want to keep my, my, I have so many in my back pocket right now. I'm going to go with a couple of sets of brothers because I think they're both influential in what they've done in college coaching right now. And they don't have a a father, though, in all of this. And that is Lincoln and Garrett Riley, two strong coaches. Obviously, Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, current USC head coach. Garrett Riley has been rising up. He's currently, obviously, also a college assistant um, in, in college football and not just, you know, an afterthought. He is a serious assistant in college football right now. And then the Brom family, because Jeff Brom, Excellent quarterback and then has been the head coach at, at Western Kentucky, Purdue and Louisville. And Brian Brom was a quarterback of note. I remember when he was playing um, and is also currently an assistant. So I wanted to mention those two as kind of also kind of families on the rise. And while I'm at it, why don't I bring up one other one? Though there is a dad involved here. Kim Helton was a Houston head coach at one point. His two sons are Clay Helton. Uh, the current head coach of Georgia Southern and previously USC and the current Western Kentucky head coach, Tyson Helton. So those are that's another family I want to throw out there of current head coaches uh, that are a, a familial relationship in addition to uh, the, the sets of brothers out there. But that's always exciting. I always love it when you see brothers who both made that work out. So we'll just call that uh, the, the USC group then because of the Heltons and the Rileys. <laughs> All right. I think that one that I'd be remiss not to mention, um, just being a Texan, would be Kevin Murray and Kyler Murray. Kevin Murray considered one of the better quarterbacks at Texas A&M before it's kind of 2000. He was uh, a Southwest Conference Player of the Year. I believe he was the Southwest Conference's all-time touchdown leader whenever uh, he played there. And I think he might have ended that way as well. And uh, that Kyler Murray kid, pretty pretty good pretty pretty good at football uh obviously wins a Heisman trophy in his one full year as a starting quarterback goes number one in the NFL draft uh 
he also, by the way, again, his dad was a Texas A&M Aggie. Uh, he started his career as a Texas A&M Aggie. His recruitment was so funny. So funny. He, the last week before he ended up signing with Texas A&M, he went on an official visit to Texas and tweeted out a picture of a jersey with Murray on the back like he was going to flip to Texas, then ends up signing at Texas A&M and then transfers to Texas' other rival, Oklahoma, and terrorizes them somewhere completely different. So uh, a really great football family, one of the uh, the, the best football families uh, in terms of quarterbacks in the state of Texas of the last little while. I like that one. But if we're talking Texas, we should also mention Spike Dykes and Sonny Dykes because there's a good on one. List, too yeah. Spike Dykes, obviously, for many years at Texas Tech and Sonny. Obviously, he went to several different head coaching jobs, but he, he was also he obviously went played for Texas Tech when his young days. Louisiana Tech, Cal, which is still one of the funniest tenures when you think back of what the, they could have done with the person they actually had as their head coach. Uh, SMU and then, of course, TCU, where in his first season he was the uh, national championship runner up. I think those two are also a pair of head coaches that that deserve mention, particularly with those Texas roots. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great pick. That was potentially who I was going to go with my last pick. Uh, th- so this is my 10th and, and final pick. But a lot of honorable mentions. We'll, we'll get to them in just a second. What direction do I go here? Th- this is a good question. I mean, this is my last pick. You've already made all your picks. So I'm going to I'm going to think out loud just for a second. Uh, so we've got. One that came to mind was Jerry Rice and Brendan Rice, uh, the wide receiver at USC, obviously the all-time greatest receiver in the history of football on the other side, and a great, great player at Missouri Valley. Um, Another one that came to mind for me was Frank Gore Sr. and Jr. Frank Gore Jr. ended up being an awesome player this year, but Frank Gore Sr. wasn't like an elite-level player at the college level. He was very good. But he ended up being an even better NFL player. But he was a member, by the way, of Miami's uh, national championship team in 2001. I think I'm going to end up going a different direction. I'm going to go with Bobby Humphrey and Marlon Humphrey. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, of course, a cornerback at Alabama back uh, during the Saban run. Bobby Humphrey was a running back for them in the 90s. And at the time, he was actually the all-time leading rusher in the history of Alabama. He ended up entering the draft as a supplemental pick and went in the first round. So, I mean, again, two all-time Alabama players who both played. Uh, I I actually have to think for a second, did Bobby Humphrey play for the national championship team? Because Marlon Humphrey won a national championship uh, during his time there. Uh, I don't believe so. No, he was right before. He he entered the supplemental draft in 1989. Of course, Alabama wins in 1992. But he was a two-time All-American. Uh, he rushed for a whole bunch of yards during his time at Alabama as well. And then Marlon Humphrey, part of one of those great secondaries. I, I think that you could make the case. We made the All-Saban team a couple of weeks ago. And the combination of Marlon Humphrey and Minka Fitzpatrick I mean, that might be the best combo in the secondary of the Nick Saban era. So I I think that they're a good way to round out the list. With that Mm -hmm. said, who are your honorable mentions who didn't quite Oh my goodness, I cannot wait to go through these because there's some names (laughs) where when I looked at who I didn't mention, I kind of feel embarrassed. Um, But I'm going to go through one that is, we talked about it before because the the father wasn't necessarily known as a college coach, although he had coached technically at a head coaching spot. And that was the Kiffins because Monty Kiffin, did actually coach North Carolina State as head coach for a while. And obviously, Lane Kiffin, 
very well known, both college and briefly in the NFL as well. And Chris has been a successful assistant coach as well. Uh, I also had Yurichek's because Hunter Yurichek, the current athletic director at Arkansas, previously at Houston, previously at Coastal, his his children are younger. I think that's part of the reason why I didn't bring him up. But Ryan played college. I remember he was a tight end at Marshall. He's now an offensive analyst in South Carolina. Jake um, is now also an administrator at SMU where he's helping, I believe, in development. Uh, and they're, his youngest son, Brooks, I think is still playing college football. I think he's a linebacker at Wake Forest right now. The Beamers, Frank Beamer and Shane Beamer. I mean, we have to mention them when you're talking about people, especially the, the sheer impact that Frank had at Virginia Tech, making them an absolute um, factor. You know, on the nepotism, okay, not total nepotism, but you have to mention the Ferences because they've been in the news so much. Obviously, Kirk has been a dominating force at Iowa. It's hard to overstate uh, how much of an impact He's, he's had there just where Iowa was and where they are now. But of course, Brian Ferentz had some, he, he, uh, we're going to see where he goes. I'm sure he's still got a bright future ahead of him. And then his other son, James was a decent football player and himself. And he's still playing in the NFL as far as I know. And then you have the Lynn family, Anthony Lynn, who was uh, the Chargers head coach. His son is a very promising rising coordinator because last season, uh, Danton Lynn was the defensive coordinator under Chip Kelly at UCLA. USC was so desperate for a great coach, they hired him. They hired the Rivals head, the Rivals defensive coordinator. So um, that's another one. We never mentioned Lou Holtz and Skip Holtz. There's another father-son combination. Lou Holtz was phenomenal as a college head coach. Obviously, Notre Dame is what he's best known for, winning a national championship there. But at Minnesota, Arkansas, NC State, William and & Mary, and South Carolina, trying to bring that program out of the pit it was in. Um, I always forget he was like a head coach in the NFL for like one season. And then Skip, you know, obviously he had his own stops as well at South Florida and Louisiana Tech. Um, he's now, I believe, in one of those, those spring football leagues. He's currently a head coach there after he was let go by Louisiana Tech. And speaking of South Carolina, although he's not as well known for being a South Carolina coach, the the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, you know, obviously won Heisman as a player there, was a head coach there. NFL briefly back to uh, back to uh, South Carolina and his son, Steve Spurrier Jr. is a college assistant currently and Scott Spurrier is also a college assistant. I also had goodness. There's so many people I had here. Rich Stockstill, who was finally let go at Middle Tennessee, his son, Brent, Played for him for many years and is a college assistant. On the controversial side, I have to still mention him, Art Bryles. You have to mention Art Bryles because Kendall Bryles is still a very highly regarded coordinator. And his son-in-law is, of course, Jeff Lebby, who was at Oklahoma last season as their coordinator, is now the head coach of Mississippi State. My goodness, I could keep going, but those were those were <laughs> some of my uh, honorary mentions. All right. I I love that list. I think that a lot of those make sense, several of which uh, were on my list as well. I'm going to mention Jim Tressel and Mike Tressel. Mike Tressel now a, a very well-respected defensive coordinator under Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and Wisconsin. Uh, I'm also going to mention Dominic Rayola and now oh, Dylan I Rayola. Like that one. I like that one. We're a little early on Dylan Rayola. He hasn't yet played college football, but I think that he is a game-changing enough recruit that, like I mentioned, Arch with the Mannings, I think that the combination of Dominic and Dylan Rayola is one to mention. You, you did mention Pete and Brennan Carroll, but that's one that I wanted to bring up. Brennan, uh, I think, is an up-and-comer in this industry right now. 
Like I mentioned, Frank Gore and Frank Gore Jr. Frank Gore Jr., by the way, won MVP of the Shrine Bowl uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And actually, uh, Frank Gore Sr. was there filming on his uh, on his iPhone like of him getting awarded. And I'm like, man, I think I think that somebody will get that for you. Don't worry about that. Uh and, and I do want to I, I do want to emphasize again. You know, you mentioned Sonny Dykes and Spike Dykes, uh, one of the first families of coaching in Texas. The funny thing was that Sonny went to Texas Tech, where Spike was a coach, and did not play football. He actually played baseball during his time at Texas Tech. He didn't want to play football uh, over there, but he did eventually stick around as a coach. He coached high school ball. He ended up joining Mike Leach's staff uh, as I believe it was inside receivers coach, and worked his way up. Did a really good job. And I think that you mentioned it a little bit before. Sonny, I think, got a really bad rap because of how Cal went. And I think that he's proven time and time again that he's just a good football coach. Although he's got to he's got to figure out what the hell just happened during his time during his most recent year at TCU. But I have, I have a lot of faith that that he's going to figure something out. So strong list. I'm going to run through our official top tens each real quick. At number one for you, House Harbaugh, uh, Jim and Jack and John Harbaugh and Jay Harbaugh now. The Bowdens, the Stoopses, the Fritzes, the Karras family of Mount Union fame, the Hawkins family. It's a weaker pick for me, but that's all right. The Petrino family, the Belichicks, led by not just Bill, but two generations of, uh, of Stevens. The Riley and Heltons, which again, I think it's kind of fun to tie both of those USC ties in there. Uh, and the Dykes family, Spike and Sonny. For me, I went a little more player heavy. I went with the Mannings, Archie, Peyton, and Eli, and now Arch coming through. Uh, the Sanders family, Dion, uh, Shiloh, and Shador Sanders. The McCaffreys, Ed, Christian, and Luke. The Greasies, Bob and Brian. Marvin Harrison Sr. and Jr., the entire Matthews family, which there's a lot, Oliver and Andrew Luck, Kevin and Danny White as administrators, Kevin and Kyler Murray as Texas A&M turned Oklahoma legends, and uh, the Humphrey family, uh, Marlon and uh, his father, uh, Bobby. So a lot of really great people. And I mean, there's so many guys we didn't mention, like Joe Alt's dad was a great uh, college football player. I mean, there were just so many the guys. Morris, Chris Henry. We have a head coach, an NFL head coach, and Jim Moore is still coaching. Uh, Jim, yeah. Jim L. I always forget they're not junior and senior. One has an E, one has an L. <laughs> the McIntyres, George McIntyre was the head coach Ooh. of Andy, and Mike McIntyre was San Jose like State, Colorado, and now FIU. I mean, there were so many. Like, it, 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 a lot of people want to be like their dad. And I'll just say that. I mean, again, I don't want to do the nepotism angle. I just say a lot of people see what their, their parents do and they want to do it. And, yeah. uh, I love that. Yeah. And, and uh, one other that I'll mention, uh, just because I have a local tie to them, is uh, the head coach at my high school whenever I first took, uh, whenever I first entered high school was Bob Shipley. And his sons were Jordan Shipley, who played with Colt McCoy, and Jackson Shipley, who played a couple years after that. And, and then Bob actually ended up at staff on text for a couple years too. So I can make the, I can make the father son connection, even if, if it's a little tenuous. So uh, let's throw the Shipley's under consideration too. I love it. I love it. I remember Jordan Shipley as a player. Absolutely. Well, yeah, he played for like eight years. Uh, how could yeah. you not remember him? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap this up. You know, thanks for joining us again, Sean. I mean, you know, wait, it may sound like you're a guest, but I mean, I can't wait to have you back uh, more full time once you've had a chance to to enjoy and savor these wonderful these wonderful early points of fatherhood. It's it's a delight. Uh, they don't they don't come back. They pass. They as I say, they pass slowly when they're happening, but then you look back and you realize they just flew by. So savor every second of it. Savor the joy. Eventually, because I know she's a little young, when she starts smiling, that's when it's going to really melt your heart. That's when you're going to absolutely, it's going to just slay you inside. It's its an incredible feeling, a wonderful feeling. And uh, man, uh, that's wonderful. Congratulations again uh, to you and your wife on, on having a family together. That's great. But uh, we'll wrap this one up here. I just wanted to thank all of you who are listening to us. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Joey Alberti. And uh, be sure if you get a chance, like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. He's Shahan Jayaraja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com and at Shahan Jayaraja on X and TikTok. And I'm Bob Ekayeri. Thanks for listening. Take care. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.